After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And also joining us in a little bit is Michigan head coach Eric Bakich, who is joining the, the, us on the podcast to talk about uh, some, a significant proposal to change the the entire model, I, I suppose, of college baseball in, in terms of, of scheduling. Uh, they're calling it the new baseball model. It would effectively push the season back uh, a month and do a whole bunch of other things. We'll get into that in a minute here. But Joe, we are coming to the listeners, uh, though we are not recording, full disclosure, uh, right after what should have been the selection monday in college baseball and it is uh we 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 have been talking about this all spring how this was going to be weird uh it is weird that memorial day weekend you know is coming and going and and there are no there are no championships there are no trophies being awarded there are no uh that there are no selection shows that there's none of that we uh but we we soldier on and you know honestly the i don't think they timed the, the announcement of this uh, proposal, uh, but it, it, it is kind of a nice distraction that that you know is coming right at the time where we could uh, where we would otherwise be be focused on what we don't have this year. Yeah, it's funny how it works out. I just did a uh, radio hit a couple minutes ago before we started recording, and that's kind of what I said to him was just like we haven't had games in a long time now and the stuff has just not stopped. Now, some of it has been stuff we don't want to talk about like programs getting cut, but a lot of it hasn't been that a lot of it has been, you know, interesting stimulating conversation around college baseball and nothing greater than this. Certainly it's definitely going to make, I mean, it, it is a weird weekend and it hadn't really dawned on me until I started thinking about the Monday holiday. And, you know, before I was covering college baseball full time, 
and I was doing it part-time, I still had the Monday off from work because I was working in an office setting and we, we had that Monday off. So it worked out great because then I could work on college baseball stuff all day Monday on that holiday, which is good because that's the selection show. So that always worked out really well. And then, you know, now you and I are just resigned to the fact and, and we're fine with it, of course, that's the, the you know decision we made, but we're just never going to have Memorial Day where we can do Memorial Day like most Americans do. And so this year is kind of weird because, you know, there, there's, you know, conversations like in our company Slack about, you know, what Monday looks like from a content standpoint and, you know, who's going to be working and, and who's taking some time off and, and all that jazz. And, you know, I suppose you and I could conceivably do that. Now we will continue to, to create content and have stuff going out, but, you know, this will probably be the closest thing in this weird, strange time we're living in. This might actually be the closest thing as long as you and I do this for a job that we will ever have to a somewhat normal Memorial Day holiday, at least in far, as far as not being so busy there are not enough hours in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Selection Monday, Memorial Day, uh, as most of the world refers to it, is legitimately one of the busiest days in you and I's job. Uh, I do not sleep a ton leading into it, you know, the whole week leading into it, sitting there at the SEC tournament, watching games, doing, you know, writing about the games, frantically trying to, you know, keep track of everything going on around the country and update the latest projected field of 64, um, you know, all of that stuff. And then, you know, you get there on Sunday night and, and you do it one more time. And then, you know, the selection show starts at noon and, you know, so you kind of have a little bit of a wall before the storm on Monday morning. But then once the selection show happens, you're, you're reacting to, to the field. You're trying to preview the field. Everyone wants to talk about what the field is, you know, what the tournament is happening and, and uh, who got left out, who got overseeded, who got underseeded. And oh, by the way, usually at this time is, you know, a whole bunch of coaching changes getting started. Um, you know, so it's, there's just a lot going on and, uh, we don't have that this year. And, uh, in some ways I, I desperately miss all of that. And in other ways, uh, I am kind of interested to see what, uh, a more normal Memorial Day experience looks like, um, in, in this very unusual time. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take what we can get, I suppose. I find the, um, just as a quick aside on this topic. I find the strangest time in our job, like maybe the strangest 24 hours is that Sunday of conference tournament week where mostly, you know, we're usually debating a couple of teams at that point. We know who most all the auto bids are and we know who all of them are period full stop by that, the end of that afternoon. And then Sunday night, I know, you know, you're usually working on a field of 64 update and, and maybe we put out some other piece about the bubble or something like that. But for the most part, you know, we're back from wherever we are from conference tournaments, and there's really not a ton else we can do once that projection comes out and once we write all the content around that projection. And then you just kind of have like a regular Sunday night for the most part, and there's text messages flying. Like coaches are, you know, asking you what you think about this or that or the other thing, and we're communicating with our media colleagues about this, that, and the other thing. But like as far as actually creating content and, and being on with that kind of stuff, like that Sunday is – one of the weirder days of year for me because conference tournament week is such a blur. And then there's so much going on as you alluded to. And then it starts right back up 
Monday after one o'clock Eastern essentially. But that Sunday night and then actually being able to maybe sleep a little bit on Monday for, you know, maybe one of the last times in a while is such a strange time for me. And I've only recently really come to notice that and appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh it's unique, a unique thing that, that we have here going, I guess is uh it's maybe the best way to to sum that whole thing up. <laughs> um but like like I said at the top of this, we are we are here mostly today to talk about uh the uh the new the new proposal for the new model in college baseball as put forth. Uh, by a group of prominent head coaches led by Michigan coach Eric Backich, who, again, we will be speaking to in a minute here. Um, wanted to summarize it quickly, I guess, a little bit, the, some of the inner workings or timelines of this before we, we get uh, to, to Coach Backich. The proposal uh, first came out last week, late last week on Thursday. That was when it kind of got debuted into the world. Um, Kendall Rogers at D1 Baseball, our friend, uh, wrote about it there. And, you know, Eric Backich um, kind of debuted it himself in, uh, in some, you know, on, on some social media side, side of things. And it immediately gathered a lot of momentum. Some of that is a result of it not just being one coach putting it forward, the fact that there had been, um, you know, maybe about a dozen coaches, maybe a little less than that, that were kind of involved in this beforehand. And so, you know, it was able to gather some natural momentum that way, but it also was impressive uh, just to see how the college baseball world took to it. And by the end of Thursday, it became clear to me that this was not like other proposals to push the season back. We've seen a lot of those over the years. This one already had, you know, just within the first eight hours of being out in the world, I would say it, it had already uh, gathered more momentum than anything else that, that I can remember. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's not quite true, but it, it certainly was received very positively. And we'll get into that a little bit. Why we think that, that, that is the case um, with Coach Backage, and you know it's it's a it's a well thought out proposal. There's a lot of detail to it. Um, there's an executive summary that's, or I guess the the full proposal is 35 pages long. Uh, it's it's a really well done uh, brochure ultimately, and uh, they go into a lot of detail in terms of dollars devoted to, to travel costs, dollars devoted to, to housing, and um, why increasing the amount of time you have uh, in the preseason, like what that does for players from an academic perspective, but also from a, a physical perspective and why it's better for their bodies that way. And I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that went into this, they really thought through every possible uh, you know, scenario, it seems like, and, and kind of have laid out their answers to, to all sorts of those questions. And, you know, it, it, 
I, so it, it just has a level of detail that you don't typically see. And clearly these guys have spent a lot of time on this and, you know, their work paid off because it was received so positively. And it's coming at obviously an unprecedented time in college athletics. It's coming on the heels of two programs, cutting baseball, Bowling Green and Furman, and a third, uh, which was up for a vote at the school's board of trustees that the Chicago state, they ultimately kicked that vote for another month. Uh, but it all signs, I guess, are still not good at Chicago state in terms of uh, what's going to happen at that vote. So you have, you have programs being cut at a rate that we haven't seen in a long time. You have a lot of uncertainty in terms of the financial state of college athletics, especially college baseball. And you have just the general, uncertainty that that's been caused by uh, the coronavirus pandemic overall. And, and so from that, they are looking at, at ways to bring financial stability to college baseball, that saying that only a half dozen or so programs make money on the sport, another group break even, that's not a particularly large group either. And if college baseball is going to continue to advance and reach its potential, something has to change. And the something that they believe that is, is to play baseball at a more time at a time that is more advantageous for fans being able to, to attend and want to attend and devote their attention to, to get it out of the winter, to get it out of basketball season and to let college baseball stand on its own. And so that's really what this proposal is all about. There's a lot of talk about how it's beneficial academically and what it means for student athletes. And, but at the crux of it, it's really a financial argument. The academic piece, the physical piece, those are very important pieces. But ultimately, I think this is, and you know, the, this, the, the proposal uh, right on the front page, it, it's saying that this is um, the COVID-19 pandemic and resultant economic turmoil has created a financial crisis for higher education. The landscape of college athletics has changed. Implementing modernized business models has never been more important than today. In order for college baseball to survive, grow, and thrive in uncertain times, we must make these necessary adjustments. And that's what it's about. It's about adjusting to what they're seeing now financially, academically, and from the welfare of, of the players. Yeah, you mentioned the, the level of, of detail here and really covering bases, and I think that's key because you really, I mean, this is complex legislation. This is really going to be a massive shift, even some version of this where 75 or 80% of it gets adopted. I don't even know what that would look like, but let's just, I mean, even that would be quite a movement. So you really have to have your ducks in a row to pass something like this not just because you have to have, not just because there are so many pieces that all oh, that is also true, but what you can't afford, especially when you're pushing and in, in, into a timeline of wanting to have this done for the 2022 season, which is aggressive. You can't really afford to put this forward and then have major holes that you have to go back to the drawing board and fix. You just don't have time for that. And so being so thorough up front has really, helped cut off a lot of that. And I think that's where 
I'm not saying the academic and health piece of this are disingenuous. I think those are legitimate benefits of this and they're a big part of it. That said though, I think those in large part kind of help fix any concerns about that because you could see those types of things if you come at this as just a, you know, we want to make some money on college baseball or at the very least keep people from, from losing tons of money on college baseball. You know, the NCAA is, is, is very often comes back with, well, what's the, what's the student athlete benefit here? Like what is the student athlete getting out of it? And those answers might've been the same no matter what, but having this on paper early and having this part of the proposal, instead of coming back and saying, well, yeah, yeah, that's part of it too. Well, uh, you know, we're giving them the fallback and we're going to give them a larger on-ramp to the beginning of the season from a health standpoint, having those on the front end, as opposed to coming back and going, yeah, yeah, of course. I think that that kind of stuff matters when you're talking about selling this. And so that's, I think that's such a huge, huge piece of this is that this is so detailed and it has all of those bases covered up front as opposed to trying to piece this together and have it go through multiple iterations just to get it into shape, to feel confident about it, getting support. Absolutely. I think, I think all of that is, is very true. And, and that's, that's been something that you've been able to see play out since the, the proposal became public. Uh, so with that, let's get into this um, in more detail with Michigan coach Eric Bakich, who again was kind of instrumental in putting this whole thing together with a group of other prominent head coaches. And, uh, you know, he'll be able to, to dive deeper into to the, the proposal and, you know, answer some of the questions that, that Joe and I have about, um, you know, what, what wasn't covered in the document or, or, you know, some of the, the, the aspects that, that still do kind of, you know, could be tension points moving forward. So let's get to uh, to that interview now. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we are very excited to be joined by Michigan head coach Eric Bakich, who is one of the, the architects, I guess, of the new model for college baseball, as you uh, you are so succinctly calling this. And we're, we're very excited to get into this, uh, you know, document and, and proposal here with you today. Um, Coach, uh, it's uh, it's got to be an exciting time for you to finally have this kind of out in the world. Well, hey Teddy, hey Joe, hey, thanks for having me. Uh, really appreciate coming on, and uh, and yeah, it is it is um, a very necessary you know opportunity to to self audit and take a look at our game, and and uh, you know we've all had time the last couple of months. Uh, some time that we normally would not have had otherwise, and it's allowed us to do this deep dive. And so, you know, really appreciate all the coaches that have worked on this and, um, you know, not just, uh, you know, this, this isn't just something the last couple of months. You've had coaches like John Anderson and Randy Maisie who have, you know, tackled issues like this for, for a couple of decades. Uh, but then, you know, the, the impetus of, of this, coming along is is all of us realizing in the post-COVID era that we need to find a way to make college baseball more financially sustainable. And we know that all the models presented in the past about shifting the season back, when they were centered on competitive equity and weather, they were non-starters. They didn't go anywhere. And so a, a panel was formed of myself and Coach Corbin at Vanderbilt, 
Dan McDonald at Louisville, Jim Sloshnagel at TCU, and John Savage at UCLA. Uh, and then weekly Zoom calls with the with the Big Ten coaches and and Randy Maisie, and you know then more Zoom calls with you know coaches like Brian O'Connor and Mike Bianco and Josh Holiday and Cliff Godwin, Larry Lee, Ben Orloff, Reggie Christensen, and others. And it's just the list has expanded, but uh, everybody coming together under the principle that we need to we need to improve our game so we are not operating at such a net financial loss uh, especially in this post covid era where athletic departments and institutions are doing the same thing looking to self audit looking for ways to be more efficient be more fiscally responsible looking to cut costs and decrease expenses and increase revenues. And so we knew if this was about competitive equity or, or whether it was not going to go anywhere. So we wanted to tackle the finances, the academics, and the student welfare. It's a three-pronged rationale. But it's the this is the important point. This is from the point of view and the perspective of a warm-weather school and warm-weather schools throughout the South and the, and the Western states. I think everybody knows why this would benefit the northern schools, but really diving into the data, taking our opinions out of it, and just presenting the information to allow people to make their own decisions. And taking that approach has been very successful thus far. It's not a one-size-fits-all model. There are going to be plenty of detractors and plenty of people who say, it. this doesn't work for me, and that's okay. This is a one-size-fits-most model. And uh, there, are, there are the majority of coaches out there who recognize uh, this can not only help their program, but this will help college baseball in the short and long term. It's an incredibly detailed presentation. Um, you have a 35-page document that, that is loaded up with, with numbers and, you know, be that revenue and, and expenses and travel costs and attendance and, and all the rest of that. So it... it there's a lot to, to digest in the plan, but I mean, the, kind of the way I see it, you're, the, the biggest change for college baseball fans would be that the season would start about a month later. Uh, but also, you know, what that overall encompasses for, for the players is that, uh, you know, they have a longer preseason, which is a very important part of this. I think, uh, you know, that gets talked about a lot that, you know, you only have, a few weeks to get ready for the season once the spring semester starts. And, uh, you know, whereas Major League Baseball takes a much longer spring training than that, and college football has a much longer preseason than that, you know, college baseball is very condensed and it puts a lot of onus on the players to do things on their own during winter break. And then it also uh, kind of lightens the load of fall practice uh, by kind of moving practice times around throughout the calendar. So, I, you know, is that is that a decent summary of it? Uh, you know, or, or are there you know some important points there that that I may have uh, may have missed? No, I, everything you're saying is 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 a valid point and and um, is certainly uh, detailed in this proposal. You know, the the summary of the three rationale. You know, you, the student welfare and academic piece should be able to stand alone on their own. Uh, and would be reason enough for change, but it just, it hasn't been, it hasn't, it hasn't created the traction. Once you add the financial component, which has been a missing component to this model, 
for warm weather schools in the past. Now it's, now it's a game changer, especially at this time of where we are in the world, um, you know, with, with, with athletic departments and institutions and, and, and schools just really taking a, a, a hard look at their budgets. And so the finances, it, it, for a Northern team, it's very simple. Moving the season four weeks saves money in your travel budget. You don't have to get on airplanes and in, in, incur these high travel costs. You know, I, I put the numbers in for the University of Michigan. We averaged the last five years 200, over $232,000. Now, not everybody will be that high. We don't travel excessive. No, it's commercial flights, but we do take the whole team and we take our coaches and we take our support staff. Um, but there, there are other teams that may not take four flights like we do, and, and we understand that. And one important point before I really get talking here is clarifying that everybody needs to run their own numbers uh, and run their own data. And whether that's looking at what they spend early in the year on travel, what they spend early in the year on guarantees, uh, what it would cost them to keep their players on campus an additional four weeks in, uh, how, in how many players stay in the dorms, uh, what's their per diem, you know, what are their operating costs of a home game, how much are the umpires, how much are the baseballs, how much are the pre and post game meals, and do, the, do those calculations themselves and uh, figure out uh, the individual finances. But getting back to the teams, so the cold weather teams, there's a huge savings there. The warm weather teams, what we saw in just, just going through the attendance figures is that playing baseball around Valentine's Day into early March just doesn't financially make sense more fans show up for college baseball in April and May than they do in February and March. And that's the paid attendance numbers. We're not even talking about actual attendance. The actual attendance we know is lower than the paid attendance because we use our eyeballs and we can see that there's not thousands of fans in the stands in late February. But that has implications with concession and merchandise revenue. Those are revenue streams that are real that are missed opportunities. And so you have a lot of teams in warmer climates that, you know, the typical collegiate fan can only spread their energy so many ways. And it's basketball season and it's conference tournament time and it's March madness. And every institution has a marketing department and it can only spread its energy so many ways. And they're rightfully so focused on basketball. And even in warm weather parts of the country, it's still colder in February and early March. And so you have all these components that are the reasons why the data says that the fans show up more in April and May than they do in February and March. And for the typical fan, baseball season doesn't start till the major league season starts. Baseball season's April, and that's when they turn their attention to baseball. So if we can put our starting date as close to that as possible, that's what we're trying to do. Now, the benefits to the student-athlete uh, is where – we feel like this proposal just, you know, really stands tall and, and has a ton of traction uh, because of the academic piece to it. You allow the least amount of missed days of class. You allow, you don't have to stuff all your midweeks in the month of March, you know, doing the, doing the calculations and looking at when uh, a lot of the warm weather teams play their games. They play over half of their home games 
in the months of February and March. And that's a, that's a lot of midweeks. That's a lot of, it's a lot of games being played throughout the week it, when they're not the most attended, but that's also right in the middle of the academic year. And coaches would be able to spread their midweeks out throughout the year, not having to play two midweeks a week, um, not having to miss so much class on these early season trips. Um, and then with the four weeks extended season, everybody isn't missing as much class because there's more games outside of that academic calendar window. More teams are playing when school is out, which is a huge benefit to the kids. And then the fall being lessened, you know, if you think about it, you, you, you give the kids the four weeks back in the fall so they can really have more personal time, but, you know, more time to focus on their studies. And to think our model right now leading into student welfare, to think our model right now, we have this really long segment in the fall and a really short segment in the preseason leading up to opening day. I mean, counterintuitive isn't even the word. That's just dumb. That is the wrong, wrong thing to do for ramp time. We're only three weeks of official team practice before opening day and two reduced hour weeks of eight hours per week. So this new model takes it from five weeks of ramp time to nine weeks of ramp time. Students aren't rushed into athletic activity right away. They can start each semester strong. Um, but the, the benefit to the, to, the, to the body, to the arm, you know, the, the studies that we have in there, there's a 17 year study in Major League Baseball that shows when those spikes in injuries happen and they happen in that ramp time, that time leading up to opening day and right after opening day. Because of HIPAA and privacy laws, can't show that for amateur players, our college players, but as college coaches, we deal with the same thing. Elbow, shoulder, oblique, hamstring. You know, we have a lot of ligament and soft tissue injuries just because of the increasing workloads in a very short amount of time. So we didn't want to give our opinions uh, we wanted a medical expert, and so we we talked with the the foremost authority on throwing arm injuries, in Dr. James Andrews, who's been a proponent of increased ramp time and just the overall safety, health, and welfare of the baseball player. For he's made a career out of this, and and he's regarded as the best. And for him to say that this is a no-brainer, and he doesn't see how anyone would argue not to be for this new proposal. I think gives it a ton of weight as well. So for the student athlete, it's, uh, it's benefits to them academically and from a welfare safety standpoint, and then financially the way this uh, really helps the bottom line of institutions uh, saving money in the cold weather, potentially making money in warm weather, and, uh, and just, just creating a model that just looking at it, if you dive into it and really digest it, it just makes sense and it feels right. And it's, it's not perfect for everybody, and we understand that, but it, uh, it, would be, it, would, it would provide an opportunity for our game to be financially sustainable, and there would be an opportunity for growth for our game as well. Because there's another jump that we can make uh, as a sport, the sport of college baseball. The feedback to to this proposal has been overwhelmingly positive, at least in the public facing sphere, social media, things like that, among 
the people who matter, you know, the coaches and, and administrators. Does that match the feedback you've gotten privately as you've had these discussions, particularly since the thing has been announced? Is there that same level of excitement and positivity about what you guys have presented? Yeah, it is. I would say that, you know, three out of four coaches are in favor of it, um, is what I would guess. And that's a pretty high number. Uh, and it's not just coaches in the power five or coaches in one region or the other. It's, it's, uh, it's a cross section of, of everyone from all parts of the country at, at power fives, at group of five, at mid majors, at small schools. Um, I was talking to a coach in, in South Florida and he, he said something very impactful. He said, you know, you know, where we're located in South Florida, uh, we actually do better in March than we do in May. But so this, this proposal doesn't necessarily help us, but this is what's best for the game. So I'm for it. Personally, you know, anytime people have talked about pushing the season back in the past, I've been a little concerned about how smaller schools handle the extra expense of players being on campus after graduation. And this, um, this extends that. I know you, you dive into this in the, in the proposal and, and run some numbers um, you know, that show that it would still be revenue positive, um, either because of decreased attendance or decreased travel costs, or, or you make that up maybe in, in uh, better attendance and, and uh, concession items or, or whatever. But am I, am I making too much of that aspect of this, or, or does the math still work for some of the smaller schools that maybe aren't seeing significant attendance at baseball to begin with? No, Teddy, you're right. You're spot on. That is a, a, a valid concern for a mid-major warm weather school that does not get attendance and do, they do not see any, any way, shape, or form. And we've had that feedback as well. They just don't think they'll ever get attendance. It's just one of those places that it's kind of stuck. It, you know, they may get a few hundred people and move, it doesn't matter when they play the season, they, they just operate under that assumption, then you're looking at an additional cost. And that additional cost is keeping your players on campus for four extra weeks. And I'd say that that group is certainly the minority, but that's a real concern. And again, it's, it's, this isn't the one size fits all model. It's the one size fits most. Most people can see the value of either decrease offsetting their travel costs to cover the cost of keeping kids on campus or they can see the potential revenue from attendance and uh, and uh, having more fans in, in home games and the in the revenue streams that creates to offset the cost of keeping kids but there will be a group of schools that will have to look at their operating budget and we're talking about costs in the tens of thousands we're not talking about costs in the hundreds of thousands but it's real money and, uh, you know, we've all been at places where tens of thousands of dollars for an operating budget is a big chunk. Uh, so I don't take that lightly. Um, but that's something where they'll have to look at their operating budget and see if there's some flexibility to move things around or uh, would they be willing to fundraise for it. Uh, so those are, those are going to be some real issues that coaches will have to tackle. Um, but for the majority of the coaches, uh, they're looking at this with a lot of excitement. Anyone who's familiar with the baseball calendar might have very quickly picked out a potential conflict, and that's with a season that runs through or into July, 
and through most of July, uh, when you consider the postseason, conflicts with what is now the, the window for the MLB draft. Now, MLB kind of already, you know, hinting at or suggesting a move to July for the MLB draft helps a little bit. But would you characterize the MLB draft being moved to July as a necessity for this plan to move forward successfully? Um. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to speak for MLB, but the conversations that we've had, there has been that insinuation of the desire to move the draft now that short season baseball is uh, being looked at as being eliminated. Uh, you know, the draft was strategically held in June because that's when the high school and college seasons ended. And you had short season leagues as a landing spot for a lot of college kids to go. And now the short season leagues and some rookie leagues going away, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, uh, it, you know, there's, there's been discussions of, of the draft moving back. And so this model would certainly line up with those desires uh, and, and seems to fit in concert with, uh, you know, what we would like to do with, with our calendar and what they would like to do with the draft. But, you know, I, Again, don't want to speak for MLB, but that's that's the gist of of what I've heard. You, you kind of spoke to some of the academic benefits, and it's pretty easy to understand how less travel and more time in a classroom would be academically beneficial, and uh, a different fall uh, how that would be beneficial uh, as well. But would it playing into July or the end of June would also take away the summer? for an internship or, or something, some other academic opportunity. I don't know that that's enough to, to scuttle the plan at all, but is that something that you guys uh, you know, talked about, the kind of academic opportunities that do still exist for, for players in the summer that, that might have to go away now? Yeah, um, you know, I can't speak for all coaches. Um, the, the summer conflict most people bring up is summer baseball, not summer internships, but um, I think that's why the fall is so critical. It's being treated as a, as an off season. Now we still have some baseball activity in there, but as coaches we're we're prioritizing the preseason and the season uh, as our most important time. And not that the fall is not important because it is, but the, the fall shifts more to a player development model instead of a player evaluation model. The players will have more time. Uh, they'll have more of, of an academic scholastic focus. And for the, for the, the, the player that does express interest in an internship, uh, that would be a perfect opportunity to do so. Now, I don't, I don't know many that, uh, that, um, necessary. I'm sure there are guys that will do that. So I don't, I don't, again, I'm trying not to give my opinion here, but, uh, there are certainly windows, like you said too, Teddy, if you look at, when the season ends, 235 teams are done the third week of June. And by July 4th, the night of July 4th in this 22 calendar, there's only 16 teams remaining. So there's still a lot of personal time for these students uh, in July and in summer. There's only 16 teams that are really making a postseason run through the month of July. But it's a valid point. And, uh, and postseason ball will go through the month of July, and but it we are saying that the fall, while still important, uh, it's more of an academic focus. It's an off season. Uh, there is still some baseball activity, and that's been the one area that 
college coaches who for decades have been accustomed to jamming everything into the fall because it's we have such a short ramp time for the preseason that's really that change has been a big adjustment for people to swallow when looking at this you know they're so attached to the fall because it's so critical you know we have to utilize those 6 weeks in the fall to put everything in all our bunt all our bunt d's and and uh, you know all of our sorry about that all our bunt D's and all of our first and thirds and our pitchers got to, you know, build them up and get innings because we have to scrimmage an inner squad. And, you know, it's just, we're fitting this into a, 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 an academic calendar, but it doesn't necessarily make sense for our sport. It's not, it's not the way it's done at the level above us. And if, if we were doing it the, the way we wanted to, we'd, we would utilize the fall as an off season. And this allows us to do so with, uh, almost an instructional league component to it with those 14 days of official team practice in a 20, 28 day window. So we'll still have plenty of time for strength and conditioning. We'll still have opportunities to, to practice baseball. Uh, but uh, that time back to the student athlete uh, in the fall and those opportunities for them to pursue something academically, uh, they do exist a little bit in the summer, but they certainly exist in the fall. This proposal has already gathered so much momentum in, in what's really been a short amount of time. As we record, it's been I don't know, a little more than 24 hours since since we've all known about it to this degree. Um, that you know, you mentioned that the John Anderson and Randy Mazie proposals in the past, and while those were important for kind of moving the conversation forward, ultimately those proposals, as you mentioned, were more or less DOA. Is it just that? there's been a little bit of a come to Jesus moment with college baseball when it comes to what COVID has done to the sport that has allowed this proposal to resonate so much, or is maybe there's something else at play? Do you think? Well, it's every college baseball coach has known that we've had a, a finances problem for a long time. You just look at everything we try to get past that gets shut down. We can't get a third coach passed. We can't get more scholarships, like all the things that we want to do, but never happens. And why should they? Why would any athletic director think it's a good idea to spend more money on something that loses so much money with the exception of a few schools? And so this is the next step. If we want to grow the game and if we want to take that next advance to the next level of having more scholarships, of having that third paid assistant coach, then we need to show better financial sustainability and growth and improve our fiscal bottom lines before uh, there's any discussions about spending more money. And now, now you get to the post COVID era where everybody is, finances are, are so important because we don't know what's happening with college football. We don't know what's happening with enrollment. We don't know, you know, what, what class is going to look like in the fall. There's a lot of question marks, uh, but we do know that, that we need to be more fiscally uh, responsible and improve our bottom lines because uh, it is not a good combination when you have higher education it is in a financial crisis and we are uh, a sport as a whole that operates at such a significant financial net loss. So yeah, they do go hand in hand, but this has been a problem that existed before COVID-19. So where, where do you go now from here? You, you've got the proposal out to turn it into NCAA legislation. Of course, uh, you know, someone has to sponsor it. Is that, is that the next step finding a conference uh, or institution to, to sponsor it or what, what are your next steps now? 
So that's how proposals usually get done. A, a school or a conference has proposed has has put it forth, and and that just can't happen with this one. This can't be the Big Ten uh, sponsoring this because it's again it's it's the northern schools complaining about weather and competitive equity it can't be just the sec putting this forward because then people think well the rich are trying to get richer this has to be a joint initiative among multiple coaches from multiple conferences and in a joint initiative of coaches coming together for the betterment of the sport so that's the position we're in right now we're getting the word out we're we're talking to coaches we are um you know just trying to generate interest and from there we'll we'll move to get some athletic directors to to champion it uh from there it'll be faculty athletic reps and university presidents it'll be a, a legislative process before it gets to the division one council uh, but we are moving in that direction but right now getting the coaches on board is the uh is the is the number one priority in most of the coaches are are in favor and so it's then it's then pushing this forward from multiple conferences not just one or two i know you want to move it quickly it, do you do you think that yeah you know, and in the document everything you have calendar wise is related to the 2022 season is that realistic uh are you know what what would have to happen to to make it to to turn this over that quickly well, ideally, this fits best for next season, um, but that would be, you know, that was that's like the one percent chance type scenario. Uh, getting this implemented in 22, 2022 is super aggressive in itself. Uh, there is a moratorium on new legislation uh, for next year, unless it's related to COVID nineteen. So that's what our hope is: is this. Um, this model has, has such a financial and academic and welfare impact that we could get this implemented as quickly as we can. Uh, but right now, the feedback we've gotten is it's good to get the coaches on board, get some of the ADs on board. But you know, a lot of these ADs are investing all of their time right now on, on what's happening with football and in concert with their university presidents uh, for what's happening with fall classes. So. We understand there's there's bigger, uh, more important things to tackle, uh, but we we are still moving moving forward and and we're being as uh, you know as responsible but yet as aggressive as we can with it, getting coaches uh, the information, and it's just uh, it's we have the time you know nobody's recruiting, uh, and this has been uh, you know this has been a lot of uh, of. Uh, relationships that I would say have been strengthened uh, just by having these these calls and and these chats with a lot of coaches and so it's it's there's been so many positives to it and just to think overarching we're improving our sport and growing our game and uh, for the long-term financial stability and growth of our game this could make a significant impact that, that that's very uh, rewarding so we're, we're excited about the progress so far even more excited about what's next so has building this and shepherding this through, has that been your main quarantine project? Are you, are you diving into books or, or Netflix or, or is it, has, has this taken the, the bulk of your, your energy in, in a, in such a strange spring that we've had? This is it, Teddy. I mean, quite <laughs> a few uh, Jerry Maguire nights, you know, start working and you look up and it's 6am and 
you know, I, I, I am, uh, you know, handicapped with only typing with, uh, you know, three fingers on each hand. Uh, I suck at typing. So, you know, inputting a lot of the, the data, uh, taken, taken quite a while going through every post game box score, uh, for the last five years of all the teams that have hosted regionals. Um, somehow I guess I drew the, the short stick of making the presentation, but, uh, no, all the coaches that are on this on this uh, panel, and all the the Big Ten coaches, and all the coaches that have you know devoted time and energy to you know weekly Zoom calls, weekly meetings, a million texts and phone calls. I mean, it's just been it's been a contribution of so many, and uh, people just you know just yeah the, using this project to be competitive and and get the best information and and make it awesome, and uh, and that's what we're doing. Well, we're going to be very excited to see where this goes from here. Uh, certainly an exciting idea, uh, and it's exciting to see the momentum uh, that, that it has as well. A lot of people are, uh, are, like you said, just looking at things a little bit differently in, in this time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a time that, that or it's a, it's a plan that needed to happen, I guess. And we'll, uh, we'll see where, where it goes from here. But we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to break it down with us. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me on and thank you for talking about it. And hey, anytime you need me, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hopefully the next time we can get some Wolverines baseball talk in as well. That, that would be an excellent uh, addition, I think. Well, I'm in for that, Teddy. You know that. Thank you again to Michigan coach Eric Backich for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast today. Always great time talking uh, with Coach Backich. Always very well. Uh, thought out, and it's no surprise then that this proposal is is as well thought out as as it is, and, and embraces some of the big big picture concepts that are facing college baseball. Uh, Joe, why don't we start from the beginning uh, when you found when when you first like read through this whole thing? What what were your thoughts on the proposal? I thought, wow, this might actually work. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen to get it there, but I'll, I'll admit. So we, you know, we heard about this and then I saw, you know, tweets about it as it became public. And before I clicked on it to really get into the details or before I'd had any conversation with anyone else about it, I thought, okay, you know, here comes a proposal. It's going to sound good and would be a positive for the sport, but I, I prepared myself to read through it and go like, okay, great. But like, where's the teeth behind this thing? I was expecting to be underwhelmed. And we've seen stuff like this. Like when Randy Maisie put out his proposal in 2015, that was in, came from a good place and was relatively well thought out and made a lot of good points. And, you know, he put some pen to paper on it, but it wasn't this in terms of the detail. And it wasn't this in terms of the thoughtfulness. And it wasn't this in terms of having really canvassed this idea to coaches all over the country. And so when I read it, I ended up feeling blown away and it was going to take probably, and I'm a pretty optimistic guy, but when it comes to stuff like this, if you're a college baseball fan and, and coach Backage mentioned this in the interview, I mean, college baseball has been told nothing but no for a long time. And coach Maisie makes this point. It is one of the points he made back in 2015 is that, you know, if you've been involved in college baseball, all you've had are reductions as the sport has gotten more popular. You had a reduction in scholarships from 13 to 11.7 you've had a cap on the number of games and there were, you know, the games cap in particular, I mean, they're actually 
I think competitive balance reasons and things like that, why, why that maybe needed to happen. But his point is well taken that for the most part, college baseball has been cut back as the sport has gotten more popular in a lot of ways. And so um, I was expecting, you know, to come into this and think, okay, this is, you know, this is a good, these are good ideas and there is some truth here, but how on earth are we going to get this passed? How on earth are we going to get this to happen? Because that's the way I felt about some of these proposals in the past. And like I said, I'm an optimistic guy, but we've been burned so many times before. But I read this and I was blown away by it. And I think that was enough to make me think that there actually might be something here. And, and you mentioned that the support has seemed, I'm sure there, actually I know for certain there will be coaches who don't support this, but Backage admits that himself and puts it at maybe 25%. But the, the, the public facing reaction to this has been overwhelmingly positive from a complete cross section of coaches. That it's not one region or one size of school or one conference or anything like that. And they, again, going back to the theme, they were very careful to make sure that wasn't the case. It can't just be a Northern thing and, oh, here go the Northern coaches complaining about playing in cold weather again. And, oh, here goes the SEC trying to, trying to sprint out ahead of everybody else in college baseball to try to widen the gap. Like, no, this was, this was a really good cross-section of coaches who have been involved here and have signed off on it. And I think that's important as well. So I went from probably thinking this was going to be some, and I mean this respectfully, but kind of like, wild and crazy idea that was very cool in the abstract, but ultimately wouldn't go anywhere to thinking there's a lot of work ahead for sure. I think every coach involved with this would admit that, but thinking there's a realistic chance. This is something we see at some point in the near future in college baseball. Yeah. I have historically not been a proponent of playing in the summer. I have always been very concerned about like I, the point that I raised with, you know, during the interview that, schools have to pay to keep players on campus once school ends. It is not a small expense. And I have been very concerned about what smaller schools would do if that, if they were told that they had to do that for baseball for an extended period of time. It's one thing for it just to be a couple of weeks like it is now. It's another, uh, and oh, by the way, like this is just kind of the way it's always been. And like, if you're on a quarter system, it doesn't even affect you. So like some of this is like your school calendar changed. And so the sport hasn't really changed with that or whatever. But um, now you're saying you got to do it a lot longer. Uh, And so I've been concerned as to what that would do. And I will admit that I had never like really put together that for like a school in the Mac, uh, that money could be offset by reduced travel. Um, so that's an important point, but there are Southern schools that aren't at big schools. They aren't going to draw a ton, uh, or aren't charging for attendance and probably just won't, um, who would have to incur those same costs without similar offsets. And, you know, those are that 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 has been a concern. But I, I, I think that what I've learned in the last, you know, since, since the proposal became public, that maybe that set of schools is smaller than I realized. And that coaches at some of the schools that I thought would have problems with it 
see more benefit than they see downside if they're able to fundraise out of it, like like Coach Package mentioned, or you know maybe it's even worth cutting from somewhere else in the budget to allow for that to happen. So that's that's been very encouraging uh, to me. I think another thing that gets brought up a lot is well, what does ESPN think if you're moving the College World Series, this thing that they pay a lot of money for, out of its current hole in their calendar? Uh, its current hole is a pretty good one. When you look at it, ESPN doesn't have a ton of other programming in June, but it's also true that ESPN doesn't have a ton of other programming in July. Uh, so I, I don't think that the the broadcast partners are going to have a whole lot of concern about that. That's generally been the feedback uh, that people have gotten off the record uh, when it gets talked about. Obviously, no one has had uh, significant high-level conversations, I would say, at least media-wise. Um, you know, may, Maybe some of these coaches have talked with high-level ESPN executives, um, but for the most part, it, it's been, well, you know, if you move it into July, you're not really you're not really affecting a whole lot on ESPN's schedule anyway. I think you're like, it's the X Games, a property which they wholly own and can move around. Um, yeah, I think so, there's also, just quickly there, I mean, I think you also, not I'm not a programmer with, with ESPN, but you know, I would also think that you, you maybe you're just giving them more programming. Yeah, you know, because no, you are. You're moving the regionals and super regionals into that previous window, essentially. And you're giving them, you know, something to fill in some summer months where, yes, they've got some regular season baseball, but that's not every day. So I think if, if anything, if they would just take, hey, you know, we're going to get some more baseball games that mean something in a part of the month where now you're clear of the NBA finals. Now you're clear of the NHL playoffs to the extent that registers. But, you know, you're clear of all of that now and you're giving ESPN some extra programming for the summer months. I think they'd actually view it as a positive on the whole. Yeah, and I the the NBA playoffs is a significant thing. I mean, that's the thing that they own. They don't televise the NHL. Um, that's more of a like time on Sports Center issue, right? And, well, and an eyeballs question, you know, where people right. watching hockey versus yeah. But you know, for them to get more like, if they didn't have to worry about like what's happening in terms of the NBA playoffs when they were worrying about you know, the NCAA baseball tournament, that's probably a positive for them. This also separates further from softball, which isn't that much of an issue, but like it would potentially allow ESPN to give more coverage to softball and to baseball because they are no longer competing uh, with each other during as much of the regular season. So there are a lot of benefits from a broadcasting perspective. I think a lot of people, um, you know, one of their first thoughts with this is, well, okay, what about summer leagues? And I thought that the coaches, you know, we didn't even bring that up with, with Backage and uh, he brought it up a little bit, but I thought that they did such a great job in their uh, proposal of laying out why that's not that big of a concern um, that, you know, to me, it just makes perfect sense. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, in their FAQ, they, they write this. The COVID-19 pandemic and changing landscape of college athletics has created the need for the game of college baseball to self-audit and make adjustments. Almost all schools operate at a significant financial net loss because we start our season in February. The attendance data and inflated travel budgets prove that. College baseball is also losing valuable developmental time during one of the peak weather months for our sport. 
Our student athletes should be developing on our campuses in June, especially with the amount of resources many institutions have invested into our programs. Our fans should be watching our student athletes in our stadiums, and those revenue dollars should go to our athletic departments. We need to do what is best for the long-term health and growth of college baseball. And frankly, uh, that that does it for me. I mean, you know, I love the Cape Cod League. I've mentioned that many, many times. I honestly don't think the Cape would, like the Cape would be impacted by this. But the Cape didn't, wasn't scheduled to open until June 13 this year. You push that date back two weeks, lop some amount of games off of the Cape schedule, and they operate with the bulk of uh, players available. Now, maybe a player from Louisville or a player from Vanderbilt, uh, teams that we traditionally expect to be playing into Super Regionals every year, maybe that means they don't play on the Cape at all in their college career. And that's unfortunate. But, you know, for the most part, most Division I baseball players would be available by the end of June. The vast, vast majority. And everyone else, all, almost everyone else could show up by July 4th, a date that, by the way, you already still are having players in the current environment showing up on the Cape. Yeah, I mean, you're other already... summer leagues, uh, other summer leagues, might, it, it might be harder for it. They start, you know, a lot of summer leagues were supposed to start May 26th this year, the day after Selection Monday and play like 60 games and aren't, you know, nonprofits like the Cape. And maybe this doesn't work for them. But to me, the, you know, you have to have a solid foundation for summer leagues to work. And that solid foundation has to come from the actual, you know, college baseball. So making that work needs to be the priority. And, you know, in, in a world where baseball programs are getting cut, where budgets are getting cut, everything's getting cut, you really have to look at how do you separate ourselves from that? How do we make ourselves financially stable? Yeah, I think it's a classic example, and no coach would, would put it this way. But, you know, when it comes to what happens in summer ball, to some degree, I think the answer now is, like, not our problem. And they don't – like I said, they wouldn't put it that way, and I don't think most of them mean it that way. But what it does mean to me is that we need to take care of our house first and yes. get this part figured out. And I think that's an important step to take there for college baseball to stand up for itself and say, look, we just have to take care of ourselves and do what's best for us. And the summer ball piece, I, I agree. Like I, I mean, I, I still want summer ball to exist. I mean, the other, the other part of it is that like, let's be honest, it, 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 summer ball for a lot of it. I mean, would there be a little less interest in the Cape if you're losing, you know, some percentage of the highest level of prospect you could get on the Cape? Probably, but people would still, I mean, the Cape exists because it's the Cape and will always be the Cape. But I think that's also true further down the summer ball ladder. I mean, the teams in the Northwoods League are existing because those are folks who like baseball and don't have big league teams in their markets. And it's the Midwest. And so, hey, it's warm outside. Let's go watch baseball. They're not watching it because there are some decent prospects playing there. Like, it is cool if you have players from those Big Ten schools that are relatively close playing there. But those, I think those leagues, maybe they take a little bit of a hit, but I just can't imagine those leagues really being in too much trouble if the quality of player dips a little. I mean, I do think they take a hit because on the one – like, so the Northwoods is not, you know, they're for-profit. They're, they're, not, they're not on that Cape model. They play 60 games because they, those owners want the gates from 60 games or 30 home games, whatever it is. Um, 
So if you're then telling them that for the first month of their season, they're not playing with the best players, like what does that do? I don't know precisely what it does, but I can tell you it's probably not good. But I think the bigger issue is that, you know, we've never seen a Northwoods league team have to compete with a big 10 team for attendance. But if you're playing if Michigan, Michigan State, if they're playing, are you, Northwoods League fan, going to be as interested in going to your Northwoods League team versus going to see that Big Ten team play a Big Ten series? I think that's a big question that that they would have to figure out. And, oh, by the way, the same thing is true in the Coastal Plains League. Um, you know, it's true in every one of these leagues, that they've never had to compete head-to-head with those teams playing conference games at the same time. And I think that that is, you know, a potentially significant hurdle for those leagues in terms of continued, um, you know, just are they going to be supported the, the way that they've been supported? And, you know, I don't know what kind of margins these teams are operating on necessarily, uh, but I, I do think that that, you know, it, the marketplace just becomes a lot more crowded when you're throwing in minor league baseball meaningful college baseball and the the summer leagues all trying to coexist in the month of June. Uh, there's, there's just a lot more, you know, places where you could go to see baseball and would you then still, and some people would, cause it'd be the most local thing or, you know, they're just really devoted to, to their, their summer league uh, more, more so than they are to their local college. But uh, I, I do think that that would cut into um you know, the, the fan bases that, that would potentially show up in the ballparks. Yeah. The, I mean, the other side of that coin is one of the arguments these college coaches have made for this proposal where, you know, I saw Jim Schlossnagel say where, you know, the Fort Worth cats, which are an independent team and were at the time, you know, were drawing several thousand fans in the summertime just because it was baseball and it's the summertime and, and all that. And I think that's an argument for this is yes, a Northwoods league, typical Northwoods league fan is now going to have to potentially decide, do I go see my Northwoods League team or do I go to a Big Ten weekend series? And I think Big Ten coaches would tell you, yes, precisely, because we are going to start getting some of those fans to come to our games. So that's the, the other side of that coin on that debate is that that's precisely the decision that a lot of these coaches want those fans to have to make because they're confident, and I think they're right, that the fan more often than not, maybe not more often than not, but more often certainly than they are now, is going to end up in the stands at a Big Ten game versus some of the other options available. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, it's, uh, it's also interesting right now that, you know, this isn't going to affect a ton of places, but, you know, in terms of geographic regions, but the loss of short season baseball appears to be imminent if the minor league contraction happens. And um, this could take some of that, uh, you know, fill some of that void, uh, particularly in the Northeast. There's been a lot of attention on any push it back plan on what it would mean for the Big Ten, because and I get that, you know, everyone wants to see if Ohio State and Michigan and, and you know, I mean, Nebraska does a great job already, but you know, these these big big you know football schools, you know, Ohio State and Michigan have hundred thousand seat stadiums. What does it look like if that you can engage that fan base in baseball at a time when they actually want to go sit outside and watch a baseball game? you know, what does that look like? But I also think this could be significant in the Northeast where, you know, the New York Penn League 
has a ton of teams throughout New York and, um, you know, stretching into New England and Pennsylvania and, and even as far as Ohio, if those league, if, if that league gets contracted by MLB and, and minor league baseball in the coming year, now, if you want to go see baseball, now you got to go see, you got to, you got to go watch BC or, or, or Northeastern or, you know, St. John's. And what does that mean for those schools? And, and I, I get excited about what that could mean in that particular region. I, I, I think a lot of attention is rightly focused on the Big Ten, but I also think this could be big for the Northeast, especially considering what's happening potentially in professional baseball right now. Yeah, great. I mean, great point. I'm really excited to see where this lights up some other college baseball fan bases. I think you're right, and there's a lot of attention paid to Big Ten programs. And I think it's, I think it's a good place to start just because – you know, having lived in Big Ten country and covered college baseball there, it's funny how their stadiums kind of like vacillate between being really, really empty because the weather sucks and being full to the point where you're like, I'm not sure how many more people they can fit in here. It's almost like there's no right size of the Big Ten stadiums because they just like go from one extreme to the other, depending on the weather and the competition level. So that's an obvious place to start. But, you know, I, I am really curious, like what there are probably fan bases out there that you and I could not even name if you gave us 20 or 25 guesses that are kind of just, you know, under the surface somewhere really like the conditions are such that they could really burst onto the scene as like a really engaged fan base somewhere in the Northeast um, or in a smaller conference in the Midwest that we just don't know about because they haven't been given that opportunity. And that's one thing as someone who like me, who really enjoys the whole of college baseball that's one thing I'm actually really, really excited to see because I think there are going to be some down the line effects of this should it pass down the line effects of this that we just can't really foresee right now that are going to be wonderful parts of kind of coloring in this world of college baseball. I mean, for sure. Like who is the next Missouri state or Wichita state, you know, two, two, you know, pretty big fan bases that, you know, are kind of random. If, if you, you know, just look at it like Wichita State, maybe a little less. They have a, a big basketball following as well. Uh, you know, but you know, there, there, there should be more schools like that out there. And you know, I, I think it would be big for you know schools like that. You know, that that are really good that deserve to be rewarded, like a Missouri State. They deserve to be rewarded by their fan base. You know, who knows where that pops up next? I think that's a that's a great point. And you know, I. It's going to be very interesting to see where this goes there. You know, you, you heard what, what back said about next steps and um, time frames and, and all the rest of that, you know, all the messaging in the, the proposal is for 2022. That's an aggressive timeline. Um, I don't know that it's, you know, particularly realistic, just you know, every time the NCAA legislative process gets involved, things wind up moving slower than you would think they would. And, and it happens for any number of reasons. You know, the, the just thinking about the one-time transfer waiver that, you know, was proposed in February by the NCAA's own transfer working group. They were hope, very, very optimistic that it was going to get approved this spring and it would be in place in August. Well, you know, unbeknownst to anyone at the time, like, uh, you know, coronavirus was going to take over the NCAA's legislative calendar and then they were going to get told like, no, don't pass that right now. So, you know, that's an extreme example 
but you know, even the NCAA's own plans, when they're involved in, in the legislative cycle, things happen slowly. It's just the way it is. And you know, so I don't know if we see this in 22. I don't know if we see this in 23. I don't know if we ever see this, but it is, um, it's encouraging to see the way it's been received. And it's encouraging that it is as detailed as it is this time. Uh, because I think those two things really speak well for its potential to progress moving, um, you know, once it does get into, you know, the hands of the coaches. It's one thing for the coaches to like it. It's another thing for their bosses to like it. And But seeing the way it's been received already, I think portends good things once the athletic directors get involved in this. All right, so Joe and I could talk about this like literally all day, I think. Uh, but we've given you a lot to digest, I feel like, already. Uh, so, and this is something that we'll certainly be coming back to as as we learn more uh, throughout the uh, the the coming days. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna call it a call it quits there and uh, move on uh, with other podcast business and stuff. All right, so we'll be coming back to you on the Baseball America College podcast later this week. Uh, we'll have Mike Rooney and Matt Schick here to talk to us about uh, bases loaded. We're, we're taking a break from our rewatch to uh, kind of commemorate bases loaded. So that's going to be an exciting one. Look for that on Friday, which uh, coincidentally was supposed to be the first day of the NCAA tournament and therefore of bases loaded. So we're excited for that. Make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast so you get that right into your phone. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review if we can. We really appreciate the feedback, and it helps other people to find the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We've written plenty more about this uh, new model over on the website, baseballamerica.com. There's plenty of college content beyond that there as well. And you can uh, get prepared for the draft, which is coming up very fast. Uh, the, the BA 500 uh, is, a, is a great guide there, uh, among other, other things. Carlos Colazo is uh, keeping you abreast with all the, all the draft coverage. So check that out over at baseballamerica.com. Joe and I will be back here on, uh, on Friday to talk with you then. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Eric Backage for joining us. Thanks to Joe. I've been Teddy Cahill. We'll see you on Friday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.